0: Let's do this, the Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Welcome, Bruce. Happy New Year, Bruce. Happy 2021, man.
1: Happy New Year to you, David. I threw the 2020 calendar right into the fire as soon as I pulled it off the wall. I thought, why why, why just turn the page when, when we can cremate the darn thing? I
0: remember people being pretty upset about 2019, and uh, yeah, well, oh, there you go. I oh. hope 2021 is better. I think it's up to each and every one of us to do our bit to make 2021 better. I think we have to start realizing that a little bit more that uh, each of us have to take whatever steps we can to make this world a better place. Bruce, um, we had some gr- some pretty darn good hockey today. I would say we're mm-hmm. watching the World Junior Championship in Edmonton, Alberta although it's like the Stanley Cup playoffs. Who knows where it is? It's like a, from the sound stage, somewhere on earth. Could be anywhere, but it's in Edmonton. Because it sure doesn't feel like an event being held in Edmonton.
1: Oh, oh but look on the bright side, David. Held in Edmonton, Alberta, world capital of hockey.
0: For the last six months, we have been. <laughs> NHL playoffs, World yep. Junior Tournament. So, so congratulations to everyone in Edmonton who's made that happen. And that includes... Um, the, the Oilers organization, the World Junior people, the provincial health authorities, people at the Marriott Hotel, and the people at uh, Rogers Place, the downtown arena. So good for all those people. Like, I know that there, it's a lot of hard work and a lot of safety, safety, safety for all those people to make right. it happen. But again, Bruce, this was an event that started off with a lot of positive COVID tests, but they've kept the bubble going, haven't they? They have not had... I don't believe a positive test since the 30 days of the this tournament. So right. you can't have an NHL season that way, I don't think. But uh, you, you can have these tournaments. And a lot of people never thought that was going to be possible, but they, they pulled it off. And today, Bruce, we saw two Edmonton honour prospects in action. We've been seeing them all week. Mm-hmm. Uh, Philip Broberry for Sweden and Dylan Holloway for Team Canada. Today, Broberry's team was knocked out by Finland in a close, very close game, right down to the last seconds. And Canada moves on. Um, Holloway
1: and Canada move on.
0: What was your impression of Philip Robury this this tournament and in this game?
1: Well, I have to express disappointment uh, uh, in his play, but in the sense that his we never saw him at his best because he was physically unable to bring his best. He suffered some kind of injury either late in game one or in practice, I heard both, Uh, and uh, Brian Rashog was saying uh, Charlie Horse, I heard other people say a Charlie Horse, that kind of consistent with what I saw, which was a guy who, uh, uh, you know, he could, he he was able to power through at times, but he lost a lot of battles and he didn't have a, a very good first step, and he was beaten wide to, you know, around to his left quite frequently. And I just don't know that he had the, uh, you know, the core strength to do what he should have been able to do, which was, uh, you know, be a fairly dominant physical player against his peers, given, you know, his size and his athletic gifts. And we just didn't see that for the last three games. You know, but little bits, like he, he gutted it out. He played 20-odd minutes a game. He did what he could do, but uh, what he could do was less than uh, uh, what we would expect from him were he closer to 100%.
0: The apparently he was in tears after the game in the. He interview. was. I saw yeah, that. I, I didn't see that. That's. Uh...
1: Yeah, he was. He was really uh, broken up about it, and I I totally understand and respect that. Uh, he was. This was his third and final World Juniors. Uh, I think his sixth appearance for Sweden in uh, international tournaments since Linka Gretzky here two and a half years ago. Uh, He played that year's World Junior. He played that year's U18, won the gold medal there. Uh, He played the summer showcase that they had for the World Junior last year. Then he played last year's World Junior, and now this year. So six different appearance, tournament appearances for Sweden in three seasons. And this one really was turning the page, and you could see he was really crestfallen by how things worked out. The interview was in Swedish, so we don't really know what he was saying, but we sure know how he felt. Yeah,
0: you know, Bruce. Uh, There's some question like how much was he injured, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. I can tell you, like we've been watching him. We watched him in early December in Sweden, completely mm-hmm. and utterly different hockey player than what we've been witnessing. I think. Like, I, I mean, I saw a player who could just turn on the Jets at will and mm-hmm. shoot up the ice, and with all kinds of mobility and agility and defensive agility to get over. And he, he didn't have it. He didn't have any of that. So what we saw was a, a one-legged Philip Broberry. And, and um, you know, with that in mind, I kind of liked what I saw. Because mm-hmm. I know what he can do. I've seen right. him play. And I just thought, wow, he played a... He, with, within the lim- obvious limitations of what he was dealing with, playing injured, he actually played not bad. Especially, I thought, this game, this last game, I was mm-hmm. quite impressed with him. You know, he he just kept it super simple. He yeah. kept... He, he just... Get the puck past the puck Don't try Mm -hmm. to do too much Uh, Play positional defensive hockey And guard the middle of the ice And uh, Again just Don't Just keep that game as simple as you can Because that's all you can do So I would have loved to see him Bring his A game and play his A game And show everything that he can do I'm a huge fan of his by now But not to be Um, So good for him I'm not – what I love, Bruce, and what you could see was is his size. Mm-hmm. You know, he is um, – maybe if you just saw him in this tournament, you'd think, oh, well, geez, you know, a bust or something like that if, if you weren't uh, listening closely. But, man, that guy is – he's a big guy out there with a lot of reach, a lot of range, and uh, it's going to – it bodes well, a player with that kind of mobility and size. It's – the Oilers have done well. I know some people are still going on about uh, Trevor Zegras, who's ripping it up for the Americans. A very good hockey player, and Dylan Cousins, who was just drafted before. Um, yeah,
1: he probably, went seventh. Eh?
0: Yeah, is is looks just great. He looks like a top NHL winger. Does um, ever? Great shooter, passer. I don't mind the guy taking in the middle between those two players. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to complain that the Oilers took took him as their pick. Um, from what I've seen in Sweden, they, they have a fantastic prospect here. And um, a defenseman, a left-shot left, left shot defenseman, it looks like the Oilers are going to probably need uh, going forward if Oscar Clefbaum doesn't make a comeback. So I'm, I'm good with him. The other player we saw, Bruce, was Dylan Holloway. What are you making of Dylan Holloway?
1: Yeah, uh, lots to like in his game. Uh, fundamentally, pretty pretty sound player. Uh, skates likes to get pucks deep, you know, as Ryan Smith used to say in every interview. Uh, and uh, he'll, you know, he likes to dump the puck into his own corner and then yep. take a beeline to it and uh, and compete for it uh, uh, along the end walls and and uh, win more than his share of battles. Um, the one thing that has disappointed me a little bit is his puck handling. Like, he's a little bit of a plumber, you know, at least he has been in these games. Yeah. And, you know, puck is going through his stick or, you know, uh, sometimes he makes a good play, but oftentimes it's fairly neutral, you know, not, not a lot creative and, and not a lot of, uh, of real fine touches of the puck. And he's, um. Uh, t- today, I noticed he played his, well, he got moved off of the line with uh, Cousins and uh, uh, Connor, McC- Connor McMichael, uh, yeah. that uh, has really been a driver for Canada. And he wound up on a different line with uh, uh, Zary and Pelche. Still a pretty good line. You know, there's not too many bad players on this Canadian team, you might have noticed. And uh, Holloway holds his own. and And, and then some. Uh, uh, good on the penalty kill such as they have i think they only had to kill one penalty very late in this game um so i like a lot of what I, what i've seen of him but uh like i say the one thing i'm i'd like to see a little more of is uh, is a little more skill with the puck and, and and like i'm not looking for like elite level uh plays of a, of a high skill forward but just f- fewer pucks you know, sort of flubbing off his stick or getting through him to that. Um, and yeah. Maybe it's just a couple of games that he's uh, he's fighting it a little bit, but uh, possibly or, oh,
0: could be his. It could be a fairly strong indication of his true level of talent at this level of competition, right? Like mm-hmm. this is where he slots in mm-hmm. uh, a player who's super fast, uh, who who really brings that, uh, works hard, gets in on mm-hmm. pucks, but his level of skill is in the bottom third for the Canadian forwards uh, at that level of play. You know, that's 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 what I'm seeing. And, and Bruce, there's a, there's a player who, like, you know, we're always looking for comparable players. At least right. I am. Maybe it's a foible that I have. Nope. But I... Uh, have. Yeah, <laughs> you have it too. Okay, I have a comparison player. He's mm-hmm. also an Albertan. He's from Grand Cache, Alberta. Okay. And he I just suddenly this guy reminds me of that guy Holloway reminded me of Dean McCammond
1: oh, yeah. uh,
0: quite a bit yeah. just just the blinding speed and and Holloway is fast like he, he is really fast. is fast and McCammon was lightning fast too yes, he was. but like Holloway McCammon lacked you know those elite hands and passing ability he was a good you know what uh, so people might think oh the, geez that's damning with faint praise like why are you saying Dean McCammon well, you know, Dean McCammon played 996 yeah. NHL hockey games. Bruce, <laughs> oh man,
1: did he? Did yeah, he did. four away. <laughs> he I knew did. he was close to a thousand. I didn't realize it was quite that. 996
0: close. Oh. four away. That's so, maybe he doesn't care. Maybe that was maybe yeah. he couldn't get another contract. But um, you know what? So Dean McCammon played in the NHL from uh, 1996 to 2010.
1: Mm-hmm. Scored
0: 186 goals. He's mm-hmm. like a point every second game kind of player in, a, in the dead puck era. And, um, you know, so, so, yeah, because earlier, earlier people were saying Ethan Morrow is mm-hmm. a com- comparator, right?
1: And I don't you mind think, that uh, comparison.
0: Well, that's, I think that's the, like, I think at his peak, Ethan Morrow was a much better player than Dean McCammond. Uh, Ethan Morrow at his peak was, was a f- threatening two way force in his mm-hmm. own right in the NHL. And, mm-hmm. um, so you know and then I was thinking like Tyler Wright there's a little bit of the guy who drafted him Tyler right. there's a little bit of Tyler Wright in in uh and again Tyler, again someone might say hey, that's a that's a knock on Dylan Holloway well, Tyler Wright played I think what 600 some games in the NHL he so did. So he so per- I think we're getting a good sense of who this mm-hmm. player is and it's I'm not so much seeing like the moral I think Ethan Morrow was more of a consistent physical hockey player um than we're seeing so far in Holloway, although Holloway hits like he he flattens, he's as likely to flatten a player as any forward on the Canadian team. Is that a fair comment?
1: Did you see the hit he laid <laughs> on the captain of the Swiss team? He hit yes. him right he hit him right in the in the Red Cross, yeah. right in the breastbone. He I just th- put the shoulder right into him, just oh
0: I thought you were going to mention the him. hit today on the Czech defenseman where he he just powered over him. So there's mm-hmm. been a couple fantastic oh, yeah. hits. So the Ethan Morrow comparison because McCammon wasn't a big hitter like that. So maybe we um, have a player who's a little bit got a little bit of Morrow, a little bit of McCammon, and and that's a that could be a pretty good player. But it, it it probably is more of a third line, really really good third line guy than a top. Or a second line guy, is what I'm thinking at that this point. But but uh, we'll see. You know, players uh, sometimes surprise us, and uh, and uh, all of these guys have been off for some time, including Holloway. So yeah, uh, oh sure, I don't know. Like when because the, they had he had to go in a couple different quarantines, and I don't know like yes. if they were even able to skate or exercise or what what the deal was. But um, because when he's playing college hockey, first if I'm not mistaken, we have seen a little bit more. Dexterity with the puck, right? Mm-hmm. I, am, am I just imagining that? Because I've seen him play four or five college games now. Maybe it's a different level of competition. Maybe it's a slightly lower, less fast level of competition than the World Junior Tournament. I'm not so sure about that, but it's possible. But maybe, uh, or maybe he's just in a slightly different role there where he's really expected to carry the puck and mm-hmm. does so more.
1: What do you think? Well, we saw two games and he was he, he was feeling it and playing really well. Yeah. And, you know, uh, again, diff- different level of competition. I mean, all due respect to college hockey, it's good hockey played there, but you don't have the, the high end, high, high end talent to such depth as you have a within his own team that you're comparing him to here with Team Canada.
0: Yes, that's but for also
1: sure. This year. Yeah. The competition, he's, he's played against some tough competition. You know, I'm just looking at Ethan Morrow. You know, he was picked 14th overall in 1994 by Chicago. Exact same draft number as uh, as Dylan Holloway. Uh, he played one year in the International Hockey League as a 20-year-old, and he was uh, uh, basically the same thing. Late September birthday, so he was a you know he was a mature draftee when he got picked. Played one year in the IHL at age 20, and then he got into the NHL, and he never left, played 928 NHL games. Wow. That's a, that's a career. I mean, people were saying, well, that's a disappointing comparison for Holloway, and I'm going, geez, that's not a bad player. Middle of the first round, 900 games, and, you know, a good penalty killer, physical player, stirred things up, made things happen. I mean, Morrow, he, eventually here, he got singled out and, and uh, demonized to some extent for... His uh, offensive zone penalties, which everybody hates. Guilty. Everybody hates offensive zone penalties. But what got missed in all that is for every one uh, offensive zone penalty, there might be 10 plays where he shook a puck loose because he was so aggressive on the puck. He'd get a stick in there and he'd make stuff happen. And every once in a while he'd tip or hook a guy, right? And off he'd go. And everybody would see that. And it, it was you know, part of his makeup. He was, uh, you know, he was hard on the puck kind of guy in all three zones, and uh, I don't, you know, I don't see that comparison as an insult at all. I mean, maybe Connor Holloway, or sorry, Dylan Holloway is a better player than that, but if he is, then the Oilers got a darn fine player at number 14 overall.
0: I didn't know that some people were, ups- like, thought that that was a, a
1: comedown or some kind of... Uh, you see the peak and you go, Well, oh, Ethan Morrow, come on. Ethan Morrow to... was
0: at his Ethan Morrow at his peak, Bruce. He was a hell of a two-way hockey player. Like <laughs> he was a
1: the I MGM re- line was the MGM line re- was great. I loved yeah. that line. I really so, like Ethan Morrow for a while there. Like he could really play hockey
0: and he was fearsome. Now we'll we'll see. Like cause cause so that I you know. Um, with forwards I'm not sure that I ever see that skill level sh- shoot up a whole lot maybe now maybe in a blue moon you get a player you know what what can though like the the, the toughness and the ferocity that's right. something that that's hard to know so we already see in a young guy who just hits the hell out of people now and then um, and but that's something that we'll have to see where, where he takes out at the next level as he gets to be his full size and he gets to be an adult and uh Enters a really tough adult hockey league, obviously the NHL. What's he going to be there? But right. what we're seeing now is someone like you know the owners could use a guy who gets there in there and hits with speed mm-hmm. like that. And I, I see his reading of the defensive game. His reading of the game is pretty good, if not very good. Like it's 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 you know it's it's somewhere in there. Like offensively, um, <laughs> the hands aren't there necessarily, but. He, he seems to read the game really well. So if he can be that kind of guy who um, knows how to back check and to cover for other players, he could play on a top line as the designated kind of, you know, Tegan and checker covering for the other players who are in there trying to score. Like, let's say you have McDavid and you know, whoever else is with him and dry settle and whoever's Yamamoto, let's say Holloway could be the, the other guy on a line like that and fit in. So I'm saying third line, but, it could be higher than that if he um, if he can translate that toughness to the NHL because man, he is as fast as fast can be. He's not as fast as Connor McDavid. And he's not the he doesn't have the like that beautiful agility and mobility that Philip Broberry usually has. But he has that rocket speed. Like again, I think McCammon McCammon was so fast. I remember the first few times I saw him like it was unbelievable how fast that guy moved. Holloway moves like that.
1: He takes a beeline to the puck, and that's the part of his game that I like the most. Like, he's he's on that puck, and he, if he has to go through someone to get there, they'll fine. we can do that. Uh, you took the word right out of my mouth when you said Tikkanen. Like, that's my kind of high, high bar of yeah. what kind of player, where sometimes I say Holloway will be best suited if he's the third best player on his line. Well, S. Tikkanen was undeniably the third best player on his line. Now, mind you, the other two guys on his line were pretty darn good. But his role within that line was very much the same idea. Get in hard on the forecheck, uh, you know, create, stir things up in the corners in front of the net, uh, you know, look after things defensively, kill some penalties, uh, get the puck through the skill guys and clean up the garbage. And, you know, that's, that, that's Dylan Hallway's sort of skill set. And I had to laugh the other day. They were, Ray and, and Gord Miller, but they were talking during the Canada-Finland game, and they were going on about, uh, they showed Yari Curry's number in the in the rafters, and they started talking about Yari, and then they started talking about Tikkanen, and and started chuckling it up about Tikkanen. While they were talking, the play was in process, and Holloway, number 10, for Canada, was on the puck, and he, and, he, he got it deep in the zone, and then he overpowered the defenseman behind the net, and he chipped it out. And Connor McMichael, number 17 for Canada, wired a shot off the crossbar while they were talking about Teekinen and Curry. <laughs> we had this 10 to 17 to damn near in the net, and it was it was a very and kind of play. Yari Curry would score, of course, but hey, that was uh, it was it was pretty pretty yeah, pretty uncanny could, timing. I, I,
0: I think we can maybe hope for Holloway to be as good as Tikkanen defensively. I mean, mm-hmm. Essa Tikkanen was a fabulous hockey player, and when he, he was, was in the world, when he was in the World Junior tournament, Bruce, he he ate the whole tournament alive. Like he was the dominant player in the World Junior tournament, I believe, when he was there. Essa Tikkanen was like he was. I think he might have set some scoring records, if I'm not oh, mistaken.
1: I, I recall. My mouth watering watching him play for Finland and thinking uh, this Of course, I think we only saw him play one game that that season. Yeah. In the uh, World Junior, because of the coverage in the early 1980s, wasn't quite what it is today. But uh, he did. What did he do in the World Junior? Uh, Finland. Uh, I've got to find the right one.
0: I'm just gonna go to Elite Hockey Prospects. Yeah, now.
1: that's that's right. w- that's where I am, and it keeps jumping on me. Seven goals, twelve assists, nineteen points in seven games. That's pretty good.
0: <laughs> that's pretty. He's like that's Dylan Cousins. Good. Like he's like, he's wow. like the best okay. player. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, T-Kin and No, anyway, let's. Anyway,
1: th- uh, I'm just saying that's kind of the model. Yeah, of, of what, and I mean, uh, the orders, He's not Tekin and I'm not sure we got a Gretzky or a Curry on the list either. You know, but uh, in terms of where he fits in, how a player like that can fit into a good line. You're darn right, they can fit into a good line. So
0: Already, Bruce, we have training cap. uh oh before we go, any other thoughts on the Canadian team? I, I mean I've really liked the play of a couple guys. That Drysdale kid.
1: Oh yeah. Fuck, he yeah. is
0: good, Bruce. He's good. He's really good. And um Byron. Yeah, Byron's Byron's really good. Um Quentin, Quentin Byfield looks looks pretty dangerous
1: um, Dylan Cousins, game after game, and the guy ah. he's reminding me of is uh, uh, Ryan Getzlaff, circa 2005 on that all-time yeah. great Canadian junior team, and he, he brings some of that kind of all-round game, he's, he's capable of some strong defensive plays, right shot can score from outside can get it inside, can make a great pass, like he's got a lot of game and there's a whole lot to like about that player. And now uh, I mean, Ryan Getzlaff, as a junior, he was thought to be a little bit erratic, and then he really blossomed, I thought in that uh, in that world junior tournament, and I, look what kind of a pro he turned into.
0: There's none of the forwards who are taken around or after Holloway who I'm thinking, oh, I wish the winners got him. Like that hasn't jumped out at me of all mm-hmm. those players. Maybe maybe some of them, maybe the one of them will be they're they're different players. they're uh, they're more scorer types. You know mm-hmm. everyone from Jack Quinn and Cole Perfetti, who was who were taken ahead of him, and then Dawson Mercer and um, Connor Zeri. You know, so yeah. I'm not I'm not getting that sense. The one guy who has jumped out at me in a good way is Caden Gooley. who oh. looks like he looks like a horse. Like I can see why uh, Montreal seems to have gotten a pretty good player there, Bruce. Oh, yeah. And I can see like the Oilers were rumored to be interested in him, and I can see why that. Um,
1: I love how he steps up and takes the body once in a while. They think they're entering the zone, the defense is back. Oh wait a minute, he's not. I'm on my ass. Yeah,
0: (laughs) he's really uh, he's impressed. He's impressed quite a bit of all the other you know other than you know other than the obvious two guys Byram and Holloway who are like magicians with the puck and brilliant skaters. um, Gouli has been the defenseman for Team Canada. This stood out for me.
1: I've got one other thing that'll make you happy, and you may, you may have observed the same thing. I watched Holloway shifts against, or sorry, Brobery shifts against uh, Team USA on the feed that we have, and they actually had the American commentary. Oh, so yeah. They had uh, um, from, that was covering the Team USA first, and they called him Philip Broberry, and they called him <laughs> Philip Broberry the entire game. Well, so. there you
0: go. I, I see nothing wrong. No, I had
1: someone coming
0: at me on Twitter saying, "Like, why are you calling him that? Don't you know that Ray Ferraro and like uh, Gord Miller and all these other players?" And I said, "And I said, well, we've been watching him play all year long in Sweden. Every single announcer calls him Philip Probert. I think I'll go with that." And then he accused me again. Like, came back, and said, "Well, I trust these guys, not you." I just said, oh, well, okay, whatever, it's fine, but this is what this is his name in Sweden. So,
1: well, this was an Amer. This was a clearly an American announcer. It wasn't uh, wasn't Gord. It wasn't Den Bayak. Uh, and this guy, you know, like he was very comfortable with the American team. And then, funny the other the other game, uh, Canada versus Finland, we got the Finnish commentary. So <laughs> after we after hearing Gordon Ray do the uh-huh. game live, I watched uh, Holloway shifts again and heard them describe in, in Finnish. So it was uh, a little unexpected, but
0: it's a curious. Yeah, we thing. have a
1: very international service that we uh, that we uh, subscribe to.
0: Bruce, it's a curious thing in hockey that we try. We actually make a really decent effort to get the Russian players the Czech players every players Finn players to get their names right right to. yes oh. uh you know we don't say some people say still say Jesse most people say yes so pull the right like we we have it down by now yes, we can all get our Peter
1: Shirelli, and they say pull Drew Jarvie that <laughs> yes. started going wrong right from that moment <laughs>
0: So most people make, but with the Swedish players, it's just epidemic. Like it's a is that the right word of of mispronunciation of their names. And I and oh, again I and I my theory, which I'm going to stick to, is the Swedes are too polite as a group um, to to speak up and say actually my name is and we but the and the, the great example is Elias uh, Pettersson who who's actually said no my I'm going to go with the English anglicized for uh, expressed Peterson. So he's just He's wearing. He's uh, rolling with the Canadian pronunciation, which is fine if that's what he wants to. So, all right, Bruce, we've now gone. Huh, it is ten months, I think, ten months, and we've had four NHL games. It's all. Uh, is it almost ten months, or is it?
1: It will nine be and a by half? the time they drop the puck on January thirteenth. That'll be the ten-month <sighs> anniversary of the first canceled game, which would have been played on March thirteenth.
0: So we've had four Oilers games. Mm-hmm. and uh here we are and here are here are people watch still watching this the faithful, the uh mm-hmm. are here with us it's the the uh it's not as <laughs> it's not as many people as before but man it's i'm looking f- i am now it's been great to watch the world junior tournament see some good games and i'm really looking oh,
1: live to- games
0: live games i'm really looking oh. forward to seeing the owners play i mean we've been watching hockey in europe um with uh the instat service and and seeing people play, but uh, this is gonna this is gonna be good. So tomorrow, uh, Sunday, training camp starts. And I just did a little bit of a rundown for the new year, kind of my fondest hope for every Edmonton Oilers. So let's go through the list, and then you can either give me just your assessment of where the player fits in, or if you have a fondest hope, or maybe your most severe criticism, whatever you you can you can uh, make it up as you go along. So uh, let's start with Connor McDavid. My fondest hope is that he scores 100 points. In abbreviated regular season, and also another MVP award, but this time in the playoffs.
1: Yeah, I like that second one in particular. <laughs> I, th- I think if the first one happens, he will also win the MVP in the regular season. Yeah. but the uh, playoff MVP—that's that's uh, the that's holy grail for any player because you know, and not, not almost anymore. I mean, it used to be the losing team got got a sniff once in a while, but it's been many, many years since. The team with the playoff MVP didn't also win the cup, which of course, is what we all want.
0: It's time. It's time for the Oilers to get something done in the playoffs, Bruce. And I actually believe this year that they uh, have the team to do it. Yesa Puliyarvi, I'm hoping for an overall grade of A minus on the season from commentators Mark Spector and Drew Ramenda, <laughs> <laughs> <That's laughs> who are high kind bar. of yeah famous uh, critics of uh, Puliyarvi, along with. You know all the team insiders around Todd McClellan; they all had the same view of him, of Pulliari almost, and they were none of them were were that very much impressed. So um, it's going to be an interesting season for him. Like he he was uh, he started out gangbusters in Finland this year, tapered off a little bit. He, what do you think is going to happen with him this year? What would, what would be your
1: guess? <laughs> a lot of different ways it could go. I mean, there's five really qualified right wingers on the roster, and he's going to have to take a job off of one of them. And I honestly, I, I see him in the middle of the lineup, like third line, uh, with um, third line center to Kyle Turris uh, joined at the hip for the opening stretch, and then it's up to him as to whether he goes up or down from there. I mean, the opportunity may present itself that if he, you know, if he plays really well, that he could move up. Uh, I'm not really necessarily expecting that, but I, it wouldn't totally shock me either. You know, he's uh, he's a real wild card. Uh, let's let's leave it at that.
0: I agree. And um, what I would say is that he is. Com- I I think his health was such a big factor in his final mm-hmm. year in Edmonton. Yeah, that's he's that's Falling down all the time. We're going to see a healthy, more mature player here. Highly skilled player and um i think he's a good player i'd, I'd love to see him fit in i i um he has the potential to be a top six winger in the nhl if he gets it all together i mean he's good with the puck he's good defensively he's huge he can four check he can back check he just needs to dig in and do all those things in an nhl setting and we'll see if that happens do okay jujar yeah do it consistently Kara. My hope for him is an overall grade of A minus on the season from commentators like me. So I have been very critical of Kara, especially last season when he struggled mightily yeah. with the puck in his own zone. And I, I don't know, Bruce. Um, he's in tough. Yeah. In for competition for um, fourth line center with Gaetan Haas, who I think is a better player. He's a faster player, and now with Devin Shore. This right. new uh, PTO guy, who's probably also arguably a better player than jujur Kera. what's your thought?
1: My thoughts: Jujar's in pretty deep, and he's you know he's going to have to find another level. He's gonna, a, part, a big part of that's his own confidence level. I think it's taken a beating these last couple of years, and he you know when when he's bringing his best game, as he's done for stretches here and there, uh, he's fine. Uh, but he needs to. Those stretches need to turn into a lot longer stretches, and the other stretches need to turn into a lot shorter stretches for for him to make it. Like if you're going to be inconsistent, you better you need to be up more than you're down. And if you're going to be a bottom six player, it's best not to be that inconsistent at all. You know, you need to be playing somewhere close to your best to uh, to make a positive contribution.
0: I think he's a winger, not a center. And I think he's a winger on another team that needs toughness more than the Oilers do. And so that's how I see Jujar Kera's career probably. If it's going to work out, that's how it's going to work out. I think he could probably use a change of scenery and um, could, could become an effective fourth-line player. Um, probably not much higher than that for another team for, and have a, you know three, four more years in the NHL if that were to happen. But we'll see. Maybe he'll surprise me. My fondest hopes for Ryan Nugent Hopkins. One point per game, especially in the playoffs. So um, Nugent was the fifth after, uh, in the new year, essentially, mm-hmm. last season, uh, which is two and a half months. He was the fifth leading scorer, I believe, in the NHL during that time period, mm-hmm. and was well over a, a point a game, I think, in that time period, And when, when he was at the Dynamite line. So... He's either going to play with McDavid or Drysdale. They finally have him where I think he really belongs on the wing. Uh, and uh, we'll see what happens with his contract.
1: Yeah, after 41 games, he'd missed six. So in 35, he had, I think, 20 points. And then in the, uh, starting New Year's Eve, he had four points on New Year's Eve. And he wound up, uh, his final 30 games, 41 points in 30 wow. games. I and mean, that's not just a point a game. That is elite-level scoring. 41 points in 30 games, by far the the most extended uh, strong streak of scoring by him. Partly on the power play, partly on a line that didn't have Connor McDavid on it. Like he was he was a major contributor and, and a strong penalty killer in all that time as well. So a, a key player for the Oilers. If he can pick up what we saw in 2020 part of the season, uh, that's a huge piece.
0: Zach Cassian, my fondest hope for him this year is the, that he silences every Oilers fan bitching about his contract.
1: Good luck with that. <laughs> There's still people bitching about the dry contract, David.
0: <laughs> there are there is not.
1: So even if he covers it though, they'll be saying, Well, he, still they could have had him for left and he would be even more valuable than he is since. Oh, that's true. That's the fallback.
0: That's true. He'd have, uh, have to get like a pointy game to si- mm-hmm. actually silence all of them. Like, like Drysaddle. Like, you know, he'd have to like. No one expected Drysaddle to score fifty goals, right? And that's what it took, though, to to finally like. And then, like, remember, Leon Drysaddle is incapable of driving his own line. And like, remember that one.
1: Oh yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Cass. Uh, he he's got a lot of questions to answer. From the time he signed that contract, um, through the end of the regular season, he was a disappointment. And then in the playoffs, he was, you know, beyond being a disappointment, he was almost a complete no-show in the playoffs. And I, I may have said this before on the podcast, I would love to have been a fly on the wall on the exit interview between him and Ken Holland last summer and hearing what was expected for him this year. But he needs to bring it and he and he may need to figure out how to bring it without a you know, without a crowd. Like I think he feeds off the fans, Zach, of any guy on the team, I would say he's the number one guy for that. He needs to find a way to somehow infuse that passion into his game, even in empty buildings, which we we're likely to have for a while.
0: Yeah. Now there's there's the Ethan Morrow of the current Ebb and Zach
1: Cassian. Very and similar in many ways. Yeah. Not so identical, but they have a lot in common.
0: Yeah. And.
1: Dumb penalties. 13th overall draft pick.
0: These are no Benoit Pouliot's, yeah. Bruce. These are not.
1: And. Like, and, and In mm-hmm.
0: the dumb penalty category.
1: Um.
0: Yeah, high
1: event players. Let's say that.
0: You know what, Bruce? If the Oilers didn't have um, a Zach Cassian, who's an enforcer, one of the toughest players in the NHL, they would need they would be forever searching for him, and looking for someone they could play with spot with McDavid at least, and play with McDavid, and we'd always be freaking out about McDavid not being protected. So, like even in this modern NHL, I think you need that because there's that's still an element of the hockey game, and and he can play hockey. Even if it's just as a third or fourth line winger, you know, uh, he's he's decent in that role. So if he stays healthy and uh, can get some consistency, I mean, he was pretty good with McDavid for the first three, four months of the season. And then that whole line fell apart. And uh, And obviously, it goes without saying, this is a pre-COVID contract. If Ken Holland, it's, if, if somehow negotiations had fallen apart in January and he, he didn't, had to sign Zach Cassian this summer, it, it would have been for a lot less uh, money. In uh, a lot less term, but that's how the cookie crumbles. Bruce, who do we got next? Let me see here.
1: Josh Archibald.
0: My my uh, hope for Josh Archibald is he's hailed as the new Mad Hendricks for all the intangibles he brings. What's your take on Josh?
1: Yeah, uh, my take is that I sure liked him visually last year a lot better than I liked him statistically.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: And when I looked at all the numbers at the end of the year, I was going, well, that's a lot less impressive than I was impressed by watching the guy play. Uh, You know, his line was outscored a lot. He didn't score a lot five on five. What he did do was uh, score in other situations, empty nets, uh, shorthanded. Uh, He uh, he was a very trusted player by Dave Tippett uh, against the other team's goalie out situation. He put him out there and he'd either score or make a big defensive play. Uh, he made a number of uh, contributions in the very dying seconds of Euler wins, and that's maybe your intangibles that uh, uh, that brought Matt Hendricks to mind. Not that Matt Hendricks would necessarily be out in the dying seconds of games, but uh, uh, Archie's got uh, uh, he's he's got a strong compete level, and he's going to need it because he's one of those five right wingers looking for four jobs.
0: The coach Dave Tippett really loves this player, mm-hmm. I think. Loves yep. him enough to play him with Connor McDavid, which I hope I never see again. It hurts my hurts my head and my eyes,
1: especially on the wrong wing.
0: All due respect to Josh Archibald, who who <laughs> who hustles like crazy, and mm-hmm. and when he's out on the ice, like you never feel cheated. Like he's no. he's going for it, and he's a decent hockey player. Like he's, I think he's kind of the Chris Russell of forwards. He's a uh, decent, grinded out, hardworking, shot blocking, hitting, uh, sound defensively, generally speaking, almost no offensive offense kind of hockey player. In. And uh, he, we, they need him on the penalty kill. He was a market improvement over some of the forwards who had done that in the past. They're going to need him, especially this year, where they're going to be looking for penalty killers. Yeah. Maybe he'll be with Nuge uh, if Kara's if mm-hmm. not in the lineup. Maybe they'll put those two guys together because he and Shayen were fantastic uh, uh and, you know, Riley Sheehan's gone, and it's one of the underestimated aspects of Riley Sheehan's game. He, he, he just signed a PTO in Buffalo.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Alex Chason, my fondest hope for him is he keeps kicking ass in front of the net on the power play. He really was. He's such a smart hockey player. Alex Chason is such a brainy player because he knew... The best thing that he could do on that power play was to get as close as is legally possible to the goalie and stay there. Because that is gonna open up passing lanes in yes. front of the net for Nuge, Dry and McDavid Because they couldn't they couldn't ignore him. Because his wow. hands are good enough. If you put it into him, he's gonna he's gonna be a dangerous. I mean, that's a that's probably you put it into chase on down there, it's probably a 20% uh shot, right? Like one one out of five times he's gonna put it in. You can't ignore that. And his screening, and um, he was just always there. And then when the puck went behind the net, he was on it. He was quick enough, unlike Milan Lucic, to get on it, to move fast, win that puck, and get on it. I liked him. And the Oilers' power play was Mm -hmm. never more effective than when he was on the ice. Which means he was on the most effective power play in NHL history the last forty years. He was part. He the the power play was significantly better, even though James Neal did so well when he was out there. It was better when on was out
1: there. So I don't see any
0: reason why that won't continue unless he's not on the team, which is a
1: possibility. You're right about the passing lanes. I mean, part of it's getting in the goalie's face to, to screen him on shots. But Chason, oftentimes, he would screen the goalie on a pass where the he and the defenseman would be pushing for room, the goalie would be there, and 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 Nuge or, or McDavid would pass it all the way across behind Chason, to dry settle at the bottom of the other circle. And oftentimes, Leon would have the whole net to look at because the goalie was a split second late realizing the puck had gone over there. By the time he realized it, it was basically already in the net. So (laughs) I love Chase on the power play. I think he brings a lot. I wish he had a little better hands that he could finish some of those setups. But he also had a, a nice play down low where they feed him the puck at the end of the crease and he just blindly pull it out himself behind, backhand pass, trying to find dry settle on the, on the crease. And like you say the ability to win battles on the boards, or at least just get there, crash the board, saw yeah. off the guy. So that the second oiler could then come in and, and regain possession. And he paid the price to do that. Like he, uh, uh, he gave it. And I, I agree with you on his intelligence. I, I, like the man as an interview and, and I'm a fan of Alex J. can't lie.
0: I, I am too, Bruce. I don't want to see him traded. Mm-hmm. Um, it may come to pass because they do have a glut of wingers right now, a little bit of a glut. And he's I, yep. I, I, another team would be they would be lucky to have Chase on. And again, he's another player whose pe- people have complained about his contract. The owners got full value, I think, last year.
1: I, yeah, I agree. And, on, I think and, he I think he covered the bet.
0: Yeah, he did. Kyle Turris, my fondest hope for him is that he re- rediscovers his hockey mojo and a hockey hotbed. He's not a player I know a lot about, although he's been in the NHL a long time. I did, haven't watched his last year's games closely. He's fallen off considerably in terms of all kinds of statistics. We'll see how he does. He's coming at an age where he, unless he's been injured in a way that we're, we're un, we we're don't know about, he shouldn't be so old that he can't get it done as an NHLer. So fingers crossed that he is an improvement over Riley Sheehan, um, who I think is... His badness, I'm gonna say, is a little bit overrated. Riley Shane's mm-hmm. badness as a hockey player. Riley Shane had some good periods in the year. His badness mainly came when they put him on the, with the wrong combination, when they had the Carey and him together on the same line, which happened too much. But with Riley Shane, with two fast wingers, that actually worked out pretty well. So, <coughs> I think Kyle um, Turris has, uh, has got an h- important role. Can he do it? What say you, Bruce McCurdy?
1: Well, he's going to have high expectations of, you know, improving that 3C role, but the expectations that are heaped on him in Edmonton are uh, pale in comparison to the expectations of a six times $6 million contract that he signed in Nashville that he got bought out of. So he's a little bit of of a reclamation project, and he's also a little bit of, you know, himself, having to reclaim himself as a player. He should be highly motivated. You know, he scored a point every two games last year in a bad year in Nashville, uh, you know, 31 points. I mean, one of the big issues with the Oilers is that beyond their big three scorers, they didn't have many guys capable of getting 30 points. And uh, it certainly wasn't Riley Shane on the third line. So uh, the third line, I mean, they're still going to have their, their top matchups, but I'd like to think they're going to be able to keep up more in the at least Scoring goals against the ones that they give up. So that, uh, I mean, if the Oilers have even have a break-even third line, that's a, that's a big win for the team when you think of what they got in the top six.
0: Yeah, I mean, they, their third line, as I, as I see it right now, is probably Ennis, Torres, and uh, Puglia Yarvi, So that's pretty good third line. Uh, who are we at now? Gaetan Haas. My hope is that he establishes himself as a valuable NHL role player. I really think that's likely to happen. Um, he's coming to camp a little bit late, which is a setback for him because he was in—he's in—he's uh, uh, in lockdown because he was near someone who had COVID. We'll see when he gets here. He's—he's mm-hmm. he's played very well in his last games in the Swiss League. He's—he's he's got a year of experience under his belt. He, I think he's a very, very smart defensive hockey player. Maybe the smartest defensive hockey player on the Oilers. I think he can kill penalties, Bruce, if they give him that opportunity. So. And um, he's fast. And he can tip the puck. He's got a little bit of offensive game. So as a fourth line center, I, I would love to see a fourth line that was fast, like with him and Nigard and Archibald, for instance. Um, I don't, you know, that would be a that would be That's an interesting fourth line, exactly. And uh, I don't know if we're going to see that every game, but we'll see it some games probably. And uh, so I, I like him as a fourth liner, and I think he can do it. What about you?
1: Well, the Swiss National League is not quite the National Hockey League, but. Uh, <laughs> He was a good penalty killer in that league, and he was a dangerous penalty killer. Like he he uh, he scored shorthanded. Like you know, he used his speed, and he's got enough skill to turn chances into goals once in a while. So uh, I'd like to think that there's more to this player than uh, than we saw last year. Like he you know he he sort of learned his way around the NHL last year, and I'd like to think he can take it up a level and. I liked his play in the, in the last games in the Swiss League, as you said. Like, he was pretty mad for about the first two-thirds of his time over there, and then he really came on the last, uh, the last number of games and, and was looking like a more dominant and, and uh, uh, just accomplished player out there on the ice. That, uh, uh, he should come with plenty of confidence.
0: Sure is great that the owners have players like him and Niegarde, like, to, you know, it's kind of fourth, fifth line guys, because this is a better situation than they've been in years in terms mm-hmm. of depth at forward. Leon Dreisaitl, my fondest hope for him is that he wins the Selke Trophy this year, <laughs> forever ending the debate about whether he's uh-huh. a better player than Valery Nishkushkin. Uh-huh. So that's a little, that's a little, in, I a don't, dig, don't know. little dig little
1: a little little at the dig, Twins, eh?
0: little, little <laughs> <laughs> Little dig at Evolving Wild there for suggesting that Valerie Kushkin was a superior player to Leon Draisaitl last year. But we won't get into that. We've we've talked oh, about that.
1: I, li- I like the Selkie Trophy idea. I mean, yeah. you could look at the, his record last year and all of the criticism that's being heaped his way for his defensive woes and so on. But the fact is that when he moved from left wing into center, his defensive woes went away. And the line that... He, T-centered was a very, very effective two-way line. Uh, Leon, uh, for all, you know, you, he does make defensive mistakes, coverage errors, but boy, does he make a lot of plays. And he, that big paddle of his is just an enormous weapon defensively. I, I read somewhere from, like, over the course of the summer, somebody counted something they call defensive touches, and Leon was uh, up near the leaders in the league, and that actually didn't surprise me, even as he was getting uh, he was getting ripped for uh, poor defensive play. But he gets his stick on so many of those passes in the neutral zone and the defensive zone. He's got such good hand eye, and I mean, he's practically carrying a goalie stick around with him. That thing is just just a just a log, and and he seems to get a piece of a lot of pucks and and. Uh, he still got to settle down and just, just um, uh, I think you know lift his awareness of the danger man and that sort of thing. But uh, uh, I see him as a fairly strong defensive player. And when he and Nuge switched positions, center for wing, the Oilers instantly became a better defensive team.
0: Leon Draisaitl could win the Selkie Trophy. Like that's how Pumpier. good a defensive player goal. I think I think he can win it. And I think he 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 may, I think he's going to win it in his NHL career because he he can he can be such a dominant defensive player. We've seen it when he's out there three on three. He is so good when he wins that puck, uh, protecting the puck, advancing the puck with the defense and working it out. There's there's few better players in the NHL at that he's he's had some problems um In coverage, like picking up the right guy in the defensive slot. And sometimes, you know, he's a little slow on the back check, if if I'm completely honest. But when he has that job alone of being the center, uh, he generally gets it done. And he can be exceptional in that role if he makes up his mind. I think he's going to make up his mind this year to do it.
1: I see Dom Lecision in his excellent article in The Athletic about the Oilers yeah. preseason. He nailed that exact same thing that you and I were harping on all last year about the two, yes. him and McDavid, sort of getting mixed up in the defensive zone coverage where you had two centers sometimes and no centers other times. And, you know, there, there was uh, – uh, this is where them each having – you know, it's it's crystal clear now. You're the center. You've got the 200-foot responsibilities. you got the, you know, the down low – Uh, stuff that you can do, and then you can get your fabulous skates in motion to get down to the other end and make something happen. And I think the degree of commitment from both of those players to that aspect of the game is uh, going to be a key to what eventually turns the Oilers into a contender.
0: Completely agree, Bruce. And I can see them competing now with each Mm -hmm. other to be the best two-way center. Um, And and now they're going to have more equal line mates because the Oilers have – Improve the, def- the the forward depth Enough that McDavid's going to play with a guy like Dominic Cahoon Or maybe Ennis or maybe Nugent Hopkins with Cahoon playing with Dreisaitl But both of these players are going to have Really good wingers for the whole year There's all kinds of guys to pick from So uh, my, my next list Is Cahoon, Ennis, Negard, And Neal and Benson and these are the the Guys competing at left wing right. uh, With Nugent Hopkins And there's there's such a Plethora of choice there that I'm just hoping one of them really steps up essentially as a second line winger. Cahoon is a great bet to do so. His points per game at even strength in the last couple years and last year especially has been really strong in the NHL. Um, Ennis' points per game <laughs> has been good. Negard is a, I really like his game. I think he's a super solid two way hockey player. He could be, I think he could be a solid third line player in the NHL, Yoakum mm-hmm. Niegard. Uh, Tyler Benson, I didn't mind him when he was here in Edmonton last year, and James Neal. I don't know what we're going to see and how much we're going to see a James Neal in the regular season, but I have a feeling when playoff time time comes around again, he was one of the best order forwards last year, and maybe they spot him a little bit, play him mm-hmm. only half the games in the regular season, uh, or we'll see what happens. You know, he's going to play some, probably sure. more more than I'm thinking. Um, he's probably higher on the Oilers depth chart than he is on my own personal depth chart. But mm-hmm. in the playoffs, I think he can really make a valuable contribution because he's tough and fearless and a veteran player, and those players come through in the playoffs um, again and again and again. We've seen it. So um, Last year at this time, the Oilers didn't have Cahoon or Ennis. Uh, uh, Benson, they had Benson um, and they had Nigar, but they were both a year less experienced. So Bruce, I'm liking what I see. And they, and Nugent Hopkins, they didn't have really on left wing either. Right. So they've completely transformed their depth in on the left side. They did have Leon, who I never liked there. So I was always complaining. So
1: Leon me. scored 50 on left wing. And I think if you added all of these guys up together, they might be somewhere close to 50. I still never liked it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to stick to that.
1: Now I see okay. the logic of thought, what, what you've done here. This is pretty pretty funny how you <laughs> listed them and. If, if Cahoon and his knee and Neil don't get it done, kills it at the attack on left wing. Yes. Uh, they, have, they have some nice options, and, and there's some offense in each one of those games, uh, each one of those players. Um, they're all really um, complementary players, uh, with Neil being the closest one to sort of being a star in his own right, but uh, that's years in the past now that he was yeah. close to being that. And the other guys are more guys that, you know, are going to be the uh, at their best if they're actually the second or third best player on the line and not the best player on the line. The guy, it's sort of the dark horse for me. I mean, Cahoon, we've talked about him all along and, and people have, have high hopes for him. The guy that could come out of nowhere and and uh, and be a very pleasant surprise, I think, is Joachim Nigard. Uh, I loved his last month in Sweden. He scored seven goals in his last seven games. And, you know, it wasn't like he was dominating, but what he was doing was getting into, like, he was relentless at getting into the tough areas and finding pucks and, and potting them home. And he was relentless on the on the checking side of things. And he's got the speed that there's a guy, you know, that, I mean, He's a long shot, but there's a guy who could play with McDavid. I think, you know, if if, if it sure. all comes together for the guy, like he's got the he's got a real nice, nice uh, combination of skills, and his defensive play, I see him good. So,
0: he's he's like a Yamamoto person that he kind of gets inside the other player, like inside their comfort space. He's right in their yeah. <laughs> right in their right body, in their like yeah. getting in their yeah. face and on them and irritating them. Like, I like his game a lot as well. I, I think he's an underrated hockey player. Kyler Yamamoto, uh, mm-hmm. my fondest hope for him is by mid-season, he starts to get mentioned as a candidate for the U.S. Olympic team. I think that that's a real possibility. He was a, pretty much a point-of-game player in the last part of the year. Uh, he loves to play with Dreisaitl. Dreisaitl loves to play with him. If he can stay healthy, if he stays healthy, um, he will, you know, he will. he will – you know 0.8 points per game to one points per game and that was mostly at even strength because he didn't get power play time bruce i mean that's he was right. one of the top even strength scorers in the
1: nhl last year and um three, just, three over three points per 60 that's yeah uh, that's in uh thin air up at that uh, altitude
0: stan health he's going to be a chore for a smaller mm-hmm. player like that with any you know he gets nicked up now and then but man he's he he proved himself as a dynamic offensive hockey player who can make plays with the best of them at the NHL level. And that, boy, did the Oilers ever need that. They needed one of Yamamoto and Puglia Yarby to turn out. And it looks like one of them has, and maybe we'll see another.
1: Got to say, though, about the furthest thing from my mind in terms of uh, looking ahead is the uh, 2022 Olympic team, especially Team USA, which, whatever. Uh, I think there's every chance that uh, NHL won't. Uh, won't represent at that Olympics when all is said and done.
0: I agree, China. Bruce. I don't think it's going to happen. I, I think there's going to be boycotts. The only reason I'm saying that I want him on the Olympic team is it's it signifies that he's come of age as a it's great.
1: In the conversation, he's in yeah. the car.
0: That it's like more like a signifier than than anything mm. I give a hoot about. Completely agree, and I, I hate to say this because I love Olympic hockey. I love it. It's mm-hmm. it's it's my favorite thing other than the Oilers winning the Stanley Cup. But I think the odds of them playing in China, with everything that's going on, is like one in ten. Honestly, downer of the day. Darnell Nurse. My fondest hope for Darnell Nurse is he silences any question that the Oilers ever needed to bring in a player like Oliver ekman Larson.
1: Well, well, that's a, that's a that's a mighty fine aspiration, David. Uh, (laughs) I don't think silence and Darnell Nurse are going to be in the same sentence very often. Uh, I mean, in theory, you'd like to think that, you know, he he takes his game up to that level. But uh, uh, he's, I think, always going to be a controversial player. People don't like his style of play. Some people and other people just think it's uh, the, uh, the cat's meow. He does bring an awful lot and he would be one tough guy to replace uh, if uh, if he were the one that was out of the lineup. Ooh, yeah. Uh, this is Oscar on is, don't get me wrong. But uh, uh, Darnell is, uh, 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 you know, with the speed, the mobility, the fierceness, the, uh, you know, the offense, uh, the ability to win battles. I mean, if you focus on the mistakes and the downside things, and there's plenty that's going to keep you mad for a long time, and, but he, he brings so many positives that, that counterbalance some of those things. It'd just be nice to see as he continues to mature uh, into a you know a mid-career sort of prime career of his career player that um, uh, the ratio between the good to the bad is just going to going to continue to improve. I, I, I still don't think we've seen the best of this player. Let's put it that way.
0: Yeah, so he's played, what, 300, more than 300 NHL games. He's 26 years old. Twenty five. It it is time for his A game. This Mm -hmm. this year, it's time for his A game. Absolutely. And I think we're going to see it, Bruce. I think he's realized, he was talking about the need to play better defensive hockey. Yep. That's what he's got to do. That's what he's got to focus on. If he focuses on, they are not scoring when I'm on the ice. I'm going to play fundamentally sound defensive hockey. I'm going to guard the slot. I'm going to, you know, stop players from coming in around me. I'm not going to beat myself on defense. I just think if he just really has that veteran knowledge of how to play defense, which he should have by now, which we've seen signs of, um, he could become a pretty significant defensive shutdown player. And, you know, maybe that involves him redefining himself a little bit as, you know, not the number one attacking defenseman. I don't know. But, Whatever it is, I think he's so close, Bruce, that I think he could shut down that kind of talk to some extent. <laughs> he's going to always going to have his critics, as you say. And every defenseman in the NHL makes bad mistakes all the time, including Oliver ekman Larson. But as Connor McDavid will, will uh, can attest, but I'm I'm expecting some really good things from Darnell Nurse this year. Oscar Kleffbaum. Uh, what I'm, my hope is, you know, it's obvious, vastly improved health, and he's able to play pain and injury-free by next fall. Like, um, poor guy. And we're, yeah. It, uh, Oscar, you're not listening to this, but we are. We do really are hope. we
1: for you, Oscar. We really
0: are. We really are. Just as a, like I said, oh. he's another human being. Like, this, these terrible debilitating injuries that hockey players get that can cause them so much pain and agony through their life it's a tough sport, and it's hard to hear that he's been injured in this way. You know, you know, playing with, I think, a lot of pain these last few years. Yeah. You, could, you could see it in the way he played. So, Caleb Jones, my hope is that he established himself as a solid puck-moving D-man in the NHL. What say you?
1: Uh, I hope that he established himself as a solid puck-moving top-four D-man in the NHL, David. Uh, <laughs> the top four is, uh, you know, it's... If it's in his future, it's still a matter of when is he ready to make that step. And there was a time last year when uh, Oscar was out and uh, Caleb played, I think, eight games or something with Adam Larson and they outscored and they, you know, they more than held their own and he looked every bit comfortable in that role. And then there were other times where he looked like an NHL rookie, which he was, and you know, you want to see the continued maturation of his game, but I mean, he's what, 23 years old. He's turned uh, turned 23 this uh, this past uh, uh, summer, and he's uh, he's just still finding his way. I mean, draft plus five, and we're just starting to see now the player that he could be. And let's just hope he just continues that progression.
0: Chris Russell, my fondest hope for him. And this is probably the least likely of all of them. But my fondest hope is that he finally gets his due from all Oiler fans as a smart, fierce, and surprisingly effective competitor.
1: Mm. What do you think? Well, I think last year Chris Russell had the second best uh, goals against per 60 minutes at 5-on-5 of any defenseman in the NHL who played any amount of time. Second best. Second best in the league, 1.62 goals against per 60. Oh, yeah, not
0: surprising, yeah.
1: That did very little to silence the criticism about Chris Russell, which is all about style of play and uh, where the puck spends a majority of time on his chips. And I get that. I mean, I'd rather the puck was in the other end, too. But credit where due, he doesn't give away very many free shots.
0: Yeah, he's, he just clamps down on people in the slot. And if you haven't recognized that by now, you're not really paying very close attention, is what I'm going to say. And if some people take that as an insult, well, it, it is. Um, <laughs> uh, Bruce, he's getting a little older, and I, mm-hmm. I saw a slight yeah. drop-off in his play. Yeah. The one thing that could turn fans a little bit is he's going to play probably this year with a superior puck mover, I'm guessing, unless they put him with Adam Larson, which I think is a bad idea. They're going to put him with Tyson Berry, or if someone gets hurt, maybe Evan Bouchard will will step in there. And that, and he's going to be on his left side, like on the, the side he should be on, like mm-hmm. the left side of the ice, the left shot defenseman. Those things combined could um, make his shot metrics look better and just make him look better because he, he's good. He's never really, when has he been paired? When he was with Sekera, yep. he was paired with a good puck movie defenseman. I thought yep. that was a really solid... NHL pair and that was the top pairing or, yes. least, you know, and, um, you know, Matt Benning and him, it was a bit of an adventure. Never really worked out that well. I don't think.
1: They it didn't just give up much, but they didn't get a lot.
0: So with but a better, he, with a better partner.
1: Yeah. You give him a, a role where you, where his job is, you know, to keep doing the defensive things and when he gets the puck, get it to his partner with space. If he sort of consistently can do that, then uh, that's a role that he could excel in still, I think.
0: Slitter Cuckoo plays as well as the stronger strongest boosters in the analytics community believe he can play. Mm. And so I don't know anything about this player. Um, some people look at his numbers, some of his numbers and think he's going to be a quite a good addition to the others. I hope they're right. Like, I hope he is like, uh, let's see what he can do. You, you're one of them. So I hope that's, I hope that evaluation is sound in this case and hope he becomes, uh, that player. I think we're going to see him. There's always injuries. Hockey's a rough game. So we're going to see this player and i hope he does well.
1: I read a post by Jason Greger. He dug into cuckoo a little bit and in, in, a, in a different way than I had, but what, what, uh, uh, what he noticed was that um, he was a healthy scratch last year in Chicago for 28 of the first 44 games. And then he finally got into the lineup uh, in game 45, and he played the last 26 in a row, and he played the all nine playoff games, and he was an outscorer, and his offense, stat, like everything, his ice time went up. And there was an item on Rotowire which I had seen from his coach last year, Jeremy Colton, saying at one point that he's just played so well, I can't take him out of the lineup anymore, even though, like, on paper, he's the number seven, but he's too valuable to us in the lineup, so I'm taking out somebody else, you know. And, and, I mean, again, this is a 26-year-old guy. I don't think we've seen, uh, well, we haven't seen uh, enough to know for sure, but it's very possible that he's still improving into the player that he's going to be right into his late 20s.
0: I wonder if his rise kind of coincided with Brent Seabrook, them realizing Brent Seabrook is cannot play anymore, uh, at least last year when he was all banged up, and maybe that's when he started to get playing time. You know, my only question, if that all that being true, like why didn't Chicago bring him back? But you never know what went is going on there. Maybe Seabrook didn't want to go back. I don't know. But it uh, seems like they would have had him back. I'm not sure why they didn't.
1: Okay. That shocked me. Like I couldn't understand why would a team like Chicago let go, let go of that guy.
0: Yeah, and teams make mistakes. So that's what yep. this could be. We don't we do not know. Ethan Bear, I'm saying my hope is that he takes yet another step in his play, establishing himself as a top pairing, top pairing D man in the NHL. And he played top pairing minutes last year
1: mm-hmm.
0: and he 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 hung in there. And Bruce, if he the, the the incredible thing about Ethan Bear is that he has gotten better every year of his pro career. The progression has been real and it's been large, significant each season. If he does the same this year, we're looking at a we're looking at a very good NHL player. And um, he's already good and he was already hanging in there. But man, if he starts to be really good in that role, well, that's like that's that you know there's that would be great. I hope he does that.
1: Now, his second pro year, he he suffered uh, injury issues. He had four separate injuries that put him out of the lineup at times. And uh, that was uh, uh, that was the only year that he didn't show like a significant improvement. I mean, his last two years at junior, he went from being like a fifth-round draft choice to being a very promising player to being the best defenseman in the WHL and winning the award for that. And... Uh, as a pro, you know, in his rookie season, he got NHL times. The second year, he got through. He had those injury issues, and then uh, year three, made the team out of camp, played every game, and just got better and better. And, and uh, he same exact same age as uh, Caleb Jones. He's just turned 23, and uh, the future is bright. Uh, I keep say, hoping that he's what I call the Spurgeon. You know, the, I've always wanted to always to find a Jared Spurgeon if you want to go back 40 years, a Charlie Huddy, a guy that they didn't expend a lot of draft capital in, that they just found uh, cheap, brought him in and he just got better and better and better and became so good that, that you know, he just became an NHL regular. And Jared Spurgeon, Edmonton native Jared Spurgeon is a classic example of a player who's done just that and become an excellent top four defenseman for many years for Minnesota Wild, and he came out of nowhere. Nobody would have guessed the kind of player he was going to become.
0: I'll settle for him being as good as Duncan
1: Keith. (laughs) (laughs) That works.
0: (laughs) That works. Adam Larson, my fondest hope for him is that he has solid enough health that he can bring his nasty and effective A game every game. Bruce he, um he was in for a a two month period the Oilers best defenseman. He was so good defensively and he moved the puck fine. And uh if he can be healthy, and I think this is the key it was the key for him and Clefbaum these last couple of years, if he's healthy, he is a really good hockey player. And that's what I want to see out of Adam Larson. Boy, could the Oilers ever use that too, so
1: well, they sure could use it last year, and, and as you say, January, February, um, the 2020 portion of the campaign, he was excellent, and so was the team, and that was those were not not a coincidence. Tyson, he, go ahead, sorry. Sorry, carry on.
0: Uh, Tyson Barry, uh, my hope is that he makes every Leafs and Avs fan question why they ever let him go. Is there a chance
1: that will happen? Well, I don't think the Avs fans are probably questioning it because they got Nazem Kadri out of yeah. that deal, yeah. so they're probably pretty happy. But if he makes every Leafs fan question why they let him go and why they let Nazem Kadri go to get him just for dessert, <laughs> well, that will be all right. <laughs> I actually don't care what Avs fans think, but if Leafs fans are pissed off, well, that's all good.
0: <laughs> the Avs fans have such an embarrassment of riches. I mean, they have Alex oh. Newhook and Bowen Byram coming onto their team, Bruce.
1: Oh man. Well, yeah, I mean, Tyson Berry, I mean, on the back end, the back end they've got, uh, um, they've got Kill like Carr, Samuel Gerard, and uh, Bowen Byram, yeah. you know, like that's a that, that's a stud for each three defense pairs for the foreseeable mm-hmm. future. Like they are going to be a handful and a half. So they were right to move Tyson Berry when they did because they knew they had guys coming up to uh, – to do that role, and they needed a 2C desperately, some, something to go behind Nathan McKinnon. So that was an excellent trade by Joe Sakic. He got value for Tyson Berry and then some. So, you know, that's the cost of doing business. But Toronto paid a heavy price to get him and then basically let him go for nothing after one year. They're the ones that uh, w- uh, hopefully will be second-guessing themselves, and if they're not, then we'll be second-guessing Ken home
0: Evan Bouchard, my hope is that the offensive talent that got him this far translates well into the NHL. If he gets a chance, Bruce, I don't have much doubt that the offense like that. Uh, this is like, um, you know, watching players like Philip Broberry in Sweden. You know, you just see the talent. Philip mm-hmm. Evan Bouchard is an immensely talented offensive hockey player who passes the puck and shoots the puck, probably at a higher level than, than any other defenseman currently on the team other than Tyson Berry, who I'm not as familiar with. But from reputation, is fantastic. Evan Bouchard is is a is a really really great attacking hockey player. I don't know if we're going to see him. It depends if players get hurt, but then players always get hurt, so we'll see him we'll see him somewhat. Uh,
1: but, yeah, I think uh, we'll see him play games in the NHL this year. Last year we never saw him even once. He got called up and he sat in the press box for a week, and otherwise he was in the AHL, and that was Ken Holland doing Ken Holland things. And his contract even slid as a result. So he's just entering his entry-level contract now, age 21. Uh, so the Oilers have him at, at a very good price for the next uh, three years. And I, one very possible outcome that could come from this year is that by the end of the season, the Oilers could decide they don't need to make a huge dollar offer to keep Tyson Berry because they've got Evan Bouchard and they're confident that he's going to do the job. The way Colorado was confident, they had Kale McCarr to do the job. All
0: right, moving on to the goalies, Anton Forsbury, the uh, AH, career AHL'er that they signed Bruce. My hope for him is that he steps up big time when his time finally comes. I think we are going to see him play. Um, I'd be surprised if uh, the Oilers don't, if there's not some hiccup along the way with one or two of their goalies. And Mm -hmm. um, last year they had Shane Starrett, who was injured. This year Forsbury's healthy. He's been a very solid AHL goalie for a long time. He's been marginal at the NHL level. But uh, we'll see. We'll see what he does when he gets the chance at Edmonton.
1: Yeah, if one of their uh, two over-30 goalies gets banged up for a week or two, the, the the nature of the schedule is so many back-to-backs is such that uh, it's unlikely the coach would just try and run with one guy for you know a long stretch of games that they that they would need to to use a backup goalie whoever that is so Forsberg he's got a pretty good chance of getting into games uh, uh I'd say single digit number of games but I, I think we'll I think we'll see him and he's his, his AHL pedigree is good and his NHL is uh you know, other than the one season where he got a chunk of time in Chicago, it's just been as an emergency call-up kind of guy. And so at least, you know, he's got lots of experience in that role, which is where he fits with the orders.
0: Miko Koskinen, my fondest hope for him is that he covers so much of the net this year that spooked opposing snipers fire wide every shift. We already saw this last year. In the games where Koskinen was playing well, by the, by the middle of the second period, we saw all kinds of guys just start missing the net missing the net because they're trying to get too exact with their shots, trying to beat this absolutely huge goalie.
1: So. Well, you shoot to miss the goalie, but if you miss the goalie but only by also missing the net, well, that's a win for the goalie now, isn't it? It certainly is.
0: Last uh, but not least, Mike Smith. My fondest hope for Mike Smith that he gets in not one but two goalie fights against the Flames this year.
1: You want to see him take out both uh, Markstrom and Riddick, do you?
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> Riddick's pretty feisty, isn't he? Hasn't even he in some fights. Oh yeah.
1: He, well, he's been in people's faces. I remember that stick toss uh, uh, that, after the shootout in Edmonton there on January 29th. I think it was. When Calgary won the shootout and Riddick stopped Leon in the in it to, and he t- did the stick toss right kind uh-huh. of in their, in their face and then the they played again like two days later and the Oilers scored twice on him in the first ninety seconds and basically blew him out of the net in uh, in Calgary that was the that was the sweetest game that was the goalie fight game and that was the sweetest win of the entire year for Oilers fans. People were
0: so excited about hockey in Edmonton. That that the, the night of that game when that game was over, that mm-hmm. was kind of peak Oiler madness that we've had since the uh, 2006 playoffs, <laughs> and it was people were just it was the talk of the town. It was a great moment, and then came COVID, so it's been sh- crappy ever since then, essentially. But uh, yeah, mm-hmm. good for Mike Smith, and I hope he I hope he can hang in there one more year here and have like a, you know, if he could get like a 908 save percentage, is that asking too much, Bruce? Mike Smith? Yeah.
1: Uh, th- that's, that would be good. Yeah. uh I think he's better than he's credited for because, I mean, I heard so much that, that that he's the worst goalie in the league, and I don't think he is. And he certainly, you know, uh, the last two years in Edmonton, Calgary, he's, uh, he's delivered. Basically, number one minutes or 1A minutes, and he's won more than half of his games on, you know, midland teams. Like, it's not like his teams got clobbered because he's he's a terrible goalie. I mean, his stats, like his save percentage, which you, know, you hang your hat on save percentage, it just doesn't look very good at all. But uh, uh, the end results are not as bad as you would think from that maybe that's luck and maybe that's something that's going to regress to the meat this year and and, uh, it's going to uh, uh, catch up with him and he's going to lose a bunch of one goal games on bad goal uh, you know on that one bad goal and if that happens well that's if it starts happening consistently that's when Anton Forsberg enters the equation so they at least have a plan C and uh, uh and Smith is cheaper. They 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 really chopped his pay and they really chopped his bonuses. So uh, the goalie budget's down by at least I think a million dollars is a pretty good bet that they were able to spend elsewhere in the lineup. So
0: yeah, I mean the good news is just going down this list, Bruce, is for the first time they're they're not just they just don't have NHL players at every position in the in the roster. They've got a whole fifth line and 4-D of guys who are kind of NHL players. This is the most depth an Oilers team has had in just just the longest, longest time. This is a really deep team uh, with a lot of players. So if there are some injuries, this is, you know, other than to the very key guys, obviously, Dart McDavid right. and Nurse and Dreisaitl, obviously, and uh, could withstand, like last Kostkin. year, for instance, if they lost Koskinen, if they lost Ethan Bear on right D last year, they would have just been sunk but this year, you know, they can withstand an injury or two knock on wood when i say that. I mean, i'm not hoping for that, but i just am a realist. Injuries happen. So do. plenty of depth this year to weather those kinds of storms. righty. There we are. Training camp starts Sunday.
1: Starts uh, tomorrow. Tomorrow they're skating without coaches. Uh, this is sun we're recording this saturday night. Uh, Sunday they're playing without skate uh, coaches at, uh Nate Arena, I heard, but presumably close to the public. And then Monday, Tech Training Camp formally gets underway on the 4th. And I'm not quite sure where that is because, of course, the World Junior still is uh, front and center at Roger's Place through the 5th. But uh, it's uh, it's just about here, David, and it's a short camp. I'm surprised they have uh, – I understand they have 40 players at camp, 35 skaters and, six, and five goalies. But they're going to have to they're going to have to trim that down fast and they may even split it into kind of two groups pretty quick where they have that sort of the main NHL group um, Well, they want to yeah group wanna have A and
0: some group games e right kind
1: of thing yeah yeah they got enough for inter squad or what have you because there'll be no preseason games. so once they drop the puck January 13th they're going to be playing for points right off the hop so they're going to need to be uh, they're gonna have need to have some competitive edge from that not the guys that have come over from Europe, the Oilers have so many of those and, and several that are, you know, on the main team. That's an advantage. It's more of the guys that haven't played any competitive games for those last uh, large number of months that uh, are going to have to get up to speed. So.
0: Hope those uh, inter squad games are televised by uh, on the Oilers' okay. website. That would be a good thing because they could go to games after two or three practices. You mm-hmm. could you could see them starting just to go to yeah. inter squad games and not cutting anyone, Bruce, because because where are they going to go when they're cut? Like there's nowhere to go, so you might as well just keep playing inter squad games right until the first game of the year, and you have enough players to do so. So that's probably the explains the numbers. And yeah, they,
1: they could they could show the internet feed of the inter squad game. They could probably run a 50-50 and then raise hundred thousand dollars off,
0: <laughs> <laughs> if not more. People <laughs> love their. People love them. Some fifty. guess there is
1: three million on the on the fifty uh, fifty that's running under today's quarterfinals at the World Junior. Last number I saw was three million, uh, or, or right next to it. Anyway, know.
0: great to great to have hockey coming back. I really yeah. feel it now. I've been kind of ambivalent about it. Like you know, you just mm-hmm. we're all stuck in this COVID fog and mm-hmm. like you know whatever's going on in all our lives, just getting through. And it'll just be really exciting and. A great distraction and then the next step is when minor hockey comes back but uh
1: we'll see when that happens all right bruce all
0: right thanks for talking
1: thanks for listening everyone
0: yeah and to the faithful happy new year to all of you thanks for uh, hanging with us uh, through 2020 and better things to come in 2021 in the meantime and in between times this has been another edition of the cult of hockey podcast